Well, someone has observed that America goes to war about every 20 years. A quick look back at the 20th century would bear that out. World War I, World War II, the Korean War, the war in Vietnam, the Persian Gulf War. Five wars, 100 years. In this 21st century, we are ahead of the pace. Iraq, Afghanistan, two wars in 13 years. Wouldn't it be great if we could give the world the gift of peace this Christmas? Wouldn't it be great if all our troops could come home? If the civil war in Syria would finally come to an end? If Israelis and Palestinians could find a way to live together? If the war on terror could be over? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have peace this Christmas in the world? I imagine there are some here this morning who might be saying, uh, peace in the world sounds great, Pastor, but I'd settle for peace in my home right now. There's an awful lot of relational pain and brokenness in our world today, and we feel it more acutely at Christmas time. I read somewhere that uh, Christmas is the peak time for dating couples to break up. has nothing to do with men being cheap, I'm sure of that, but <laughs> that's what they tell us. Wouldn't it be great at Christmas if we could bring an end to relational pain? Wouldn't it be great if we could, if we could put divorced lawyers out of business? If wayward children could come home? If inattentive parents could reach out to children they have disappointed, perhaps, or neglected? Wouldn't it be great if feuding relatives could finally call a truce? Wouldn't it be great if parents and kids could stop fighting over the remote control? If kids could stop fighting over who rides shotgun in the family truckster? Peace in our homes would be wonderful. But then I imagine there are some this morning who are saying, you know, this is all great, but I'd be happy just to have peace in my heart this Christmas. There's an awful lot of hurt and heartache in our world today, and it bubbles up to the surface in the holiday season. Wouldn't it be great to finally be free of, 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 of nagging guilt, of, of panic attacks, of debilitating depression, of feeling lonely and left out, of whatever stage of grief you find yourself in these days? Peace in the world, peace in our homes, peace in our hearts. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could experience those things this Christmas? Isn't that what the world wants, to give and to get? Well, this Advent season, we are joining with churches all across the country and across the world in a movement called the Advent Conspiracy. We are doing Christmas differently for the sake of our souls, and for the sake of the world as well. As we make our way through the season, we are each week challenging ourselves to give more of ourselves at Christmas. And in particular, to give more of the, the traditional Christmas blessings represented by the Advent candle, hope, peace, love, and joy. We want to give fewer presents and more presents. We want to spend less money on stuff and more time with people. So last week we talked about, Pastor Tom challenged us to give more hope 
at Christmas, to point people towards Christ. The difference between hoping for something and hoping in someone. This morning, we'd like to talk about giving more peace to the people in our world and to the world around us. So we're going to consider a passage that was written hundreds of years before Christ was born, and yet it's become one of our favorite and most loved Christmas passages, thanks in part to Handel's Messiah and that chorus, For unto us a child is born. The passage is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And as we walk through it for a few moments this morning, we'll first be thinking about what peace really looks like, where peace comes from, and how we can give more of it at Christmas and always. So first, let's think about what peace actually looks like in the world and in our lives. And let's start with verse 2 of Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah was prophesying in the days of the united kingdom, or the divided kingdom, rather. Remember, the kingdom of Israel began as a united kingdom under kings like Saul and David and Solomon. But then the kingdom split in two, north and south, Israel and Judah. Isaiah is prophesying primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah. But he's prophesying at a time when the winds of war are blowing through both of these kingdoms. The neighboring nation of Assyria is, is bearing down upon the, nation of, the land of Israel. They are conquering one nation after another, and the Assyrian Empire is a juggernaut. It is brutal and punishing, laying waste to towns and villages and nations and peoples, people groups. In fact, in 722 B.C., right about the time, maybe just after Isaiah spoke these words, the northern kingdom of, of Israel fell and was conquered by the nation of Assyria. Let's take a look at the map for a moment, just so you get a feeling for it. The blue there is the kingdom of Israel in the north, the red, the kingdom of Judah in the south, but then that whole green section above is all the Assyrian Empire. And so you can see why the people Isaiah was speaking to felt as though they were living in the land of the shadow of death. It looked as though there was no stopping that Assyrian Empire. But Isaiah points them to a future time to a better day when there will be no more threat. He looks forward to a time of peace. Now, he hasn't used that word yet, but in these next few verses, he's going to describe what that age of peace will look like, what that shalom, as the Hebrew language puts it, what does shalom look like? Three characteristics. First of all, shalom means there will be an end to poverty. An end to poverty, verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. Isaiah is using the language of abundance here. He talks about enlarging the nation, about increasing their joy. You see, war is all about scarcity. Think about our own nation here in the United States. Ten years of war has left us with a $900 billion deficit. That's what war does. War means rationing of resources. In the ancient world, war meant siege being laid to cities so food and water could not get in. And that's what the people of Israel are dreading here, a lack of the basic necessities of life. But Isaiah points them to a better time, a better day when there will be more than enough for everybody. 
and he conjures up two images, the images of a bountiful harvest, farmers and reapers coming in, our arms overflowing with grain, and then the image of rich plunder, conquering soldiers returning with the spoils of war in their arms and their carts. He's envisioning a day when there will be enough for everybody, so much bounty that there will be dancing in the streets. So when we talk about shalom, we're not just talking about the absence of conflict. We're talking about having what you need to live, the necessities of life, food, water, clothing, shelter. And at Christmas time, we have an opportunity to give those kinds of gifts to people. We have a, a giving tree out in the lobby that allows us to give gifts to our regional partners. I'm told that those giving tree tags are all gone now. <laughs> Everybody beats you to it. But there are ways we can give to our partners, to agencies, to charities that are doing good, that are serving the poor, that are providing people in need. We'll have another opportunity at Christmas Eve. Our Christmas Eve offering this year is going entirely to providing emergency relief and economic empowerment to the people of the Philippines recovering from that typhoon for about $20 or so. Hey, we're excited about it. We're excited about it. For about $20, you can provide a kit that will provide a family with some of the basic necessities they need to get through this tough season. Now, it's easy to say, uh, hey, Pastor, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, Christmas is crazy expensive already. Where do we find money to start giving away? Well, that's where the spending less comes in. Spend less to give more. Spend less on ourselves, on our gifts, on our decorations, on our parties, and spend more on others. Give more uh, to those around us. I've heard of some families who are conspiring to reduce their Christmas spending by 10% or 20% or 50% so that they might free up money to give away to others. Other families have talked about uh, limiting their gift giving to their children to three gifts in honor of the Magi, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. If it was good enough for Jesus, all right. <laughs> so shalom is about more than just the absence of conflict. It's about having what you need to live. And we can give more of those things at Christmas. But the second characteristic of peace that Isaiah describes is an end to injustice. So an end to poverty and an end to injustice. Look at verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Isaiah is conjuring up two images from Israel's history. First, the Midianites in the days of the judges, oppressive, oppressively tyrannizing the, the land of Israel, trashing villages, slaughtering livestock, ruining their crops. The people of Israel in those days fled from their villages, went to the hills to live in caves and clefts in the rock. It's like the reports we get from Syria of, of refugees leaving their towns, living in caves, crossing the border to live in refugee camps. That was that kind of a time in the nation of Israel. But then he reminds them also of the days in Egypt, 400 years of slave labor. And that image of the yoke reminds them of how they were treated like nothing better than beasts of burden. The image of the bar speaks of their imprisonment. The image of the rod of the punishment and the beatings they had received. The Israelites knew what it was like to be robbed of their human rights and their dignity. 
And we know that injustices like that are still being perpetrated in our world today. Slave labor, human trafficking, racial discrimination, political oppression. It's still happening today. Someday, Isaiah says, someday those instruments of injustice will be shattered, splintered, so they can no longer be used. And so giving peace at Christmas means working for justice, for equality, for opportunity for all people. This week, the world is honoring and remembering Nelson Mandela, who devoted his life to the dismantling of an unjust and oppressive system called apartheid. As a young man, he was a militant, inciting his countrymen to rise up and fight. After 27 years in prison, he came out a changed man, and he offered reconciliation instead of revenge. He offered forgiveness to those who had oppressed him. He shared power with his adversaries. Bishop Desmond Tutu said of him, without Mandela, our nation would have gone up in flames. Nelson Mandela gave his people and the world more justice and hence more peace. On a smaller scale, we have opportunities to do those same kinds of things, to do justice even at Christmas. We can be careful about the way we spend our money. Will we spend our money on products and with companies that exploit workers around the world? that trash the environment? Will we free up some of our time of shopping and partying in order that we might volunteer with agencies, partners that are serving those who are less fortunate and needy? When we bow to pray as a family or as a congregation, will we not only thank God for the richness that we enjoy, but will we remember to pray for those who are being oppressed and, and marginalized and imprisoned and living in fear, will we remember them in our prayers? And so shalom means an, an end to poverty. It means an end to injustice. And of course, it means an end to war. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for the burning, will be fuel for the fire. Isaiah looks to a time when all the weapons of war will be tossed into a great pile and set ablaze, destroyed forever. I mean, think about it. Chemical weapons neutralized. Nuclear warheads dismantled. No more roadside bombs. No more suicide vests. No more assault, assault rifles. They're all gone because they're not needed anymore. Because nation is no longer rising up against nation. Tribes and nations and people groups and races are learning to live together in harmony. Human beings have finally learned to get along. That's the day that Isaiah envisions. So we give more peace when we pursue reconciliation with people. When we promote cooperation among people. When we practice forgiveness, giving and receiving it. In recent years, we have developed some missional partnerships with folks in the nation of Kenya, Nairobi Chapel in particular, and World Relief. 
Last spring, when elections were happening in Kenya, there was great fear of an outbreak of, of tribal and political violence, which happened last time there were elections. It was churches and Christian people in that nation that took responsibility for making peace in advance of the elections. Grace Chapel sent a team of folks to go down and work alongside our partners there, our friends, to, to train and mobilize Christians and churches to promote peace. There are men and women serving in our armed forces all over the world today. Their families are celebrating the holidays here at home, sometimes without them. And while we all look forward to a day when armies and weapons will no longer be needed in this fallen world, our armed forces serve well when they keep peace, when they protect freedom and people and provide justice for people. Now, for most of us, our peacemaking is going to be more personal, extending or receiving forgiveness, reaching out to someone we've lost touch with, opening our heart to a stranger. See, peacemaking isn't passive. Peacemaking takes initiative. It takes courage to reach out to someone, to stick out your neck, to start a relationship, to initiate, to ask or receive forgiveness. But Christmas is a wonderful time to give more peace. And so we can see that peace is more than just the absence of conflict. It's about an end to poverty, an end to injustice, and an end to war. It's wholeness, it's wellness, it's being right with God, right with each other, and right with this wider world in which we live. One contemporary writer, Andy Crouch, calls shalom comprehensive flourishing. Everyone and everything becoming all that God intended it to be. That's peace, that's shalom, and it's what we all want at Christmas. But we just can't seem to pull it off, can we? It just keeps eluding us. Every 20 years, we're at it again. And even if warring nations or feuding relatives manage to call a truce for the holidays, it's only a matter of days and sometimes hours before the fighting starts all over again. The other night, uh, Karen and I were watching some TV, flipping back and forth between Monday Night Football and the Country Music Christmas Spectacular. We weren't fighting over the remote, we were kind of sharing it, I would say, all right? <laughs> we flipped over to the country music special just in time to catch a, a crooner named Darius Rucker singing one of John Lennon's songs, uh, Happy Christmas. Now, I'm not sure how Lennon would have felt about his song being featured on a country music show, but anyway, these are the lyrics to the song. And so this is Christmas for a weak and for strong, for a rich and the poor ones, the world is so wrong. And so, happy Christmas for black and for white, for yellow and red ones, let's stop all the fight. So we all want at Christmas, right? But as I listened to the song, for the first time I heard the children's chorus that's being sung beneath those lyrics. It's a simple refrain that goes like this. War is over if we want it. War is over now. It's a sweet sentiment, isn't it? It's what we all wish for. But it's just not true, is it? War's not over. 
Lennon wrote and sang that song, what, 40-some years ago, and war still is not over. The irony, the tragedy of the whole thing is that the man who wrote the song was gunned down in the street outside his own apartment building. How will we ever discover this peace that we long for? How, how will comprehensive flourishing ever come to fallen people living in a spoiled planet? It, 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 it's beyond our power, apparently. If peace is going to come to this world, it's going to have to come from somewhere else. Someone is going to have to bring it. And in Isaiah 9, we meet that someone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isaiah looks forward to a day when a new ruler will sit on the throne because up until this time, no ruler has been able to bring peace. Not David, the man after God's own heart. Not Solomon, the wisest man in all the world. None of their successors, for sure, right up until this present day. No earthly ruler, no government agency, no political machine, no NGO, no grassroots movement, no singer-songwriter has been able to bring peace to this world. It eludes us. If peace is going to come, it's going to have to come from somewhere else. Someone's going to have to bring it. And then Isaiah 9, we meet that someone, Prince of Peace. Look again at the description. To us, a child is born. That tells us he's going to be one of us, a human being, born. But to us, a son is given. Given tells us that he comes to us from somewhere else. He's given to us by a great giver who is above and beyond us, human and divine. Look at the names he's given, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. No human being fits that description. But it's the last name that captures our imagination, prince of peace, prince of peace, what a curious expression. You see, historically, traditionally, princes made war. That was a prince's main job, is to protect and expand his father's empire. And they did that by waging war. And yet this prince wages peace. He's the prince of peace, which means he embodies peace in his very presence. He brings peace by his being among us. This is the one Isaiah looks forward to. The one who would finally bring an end to poverty, to injustice, and to war. The one who would usher in an age of comprehensive flourishing. And hundreds of years after these words were spoken, 700 years later, Jesus was born. And on the night he was born, the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, glory is heaven's destiny. Peace is earth's destiny. And because Christ has come, peace is finally possible. It begins when we find peace with God. We who have rebelled against him, who have resisted his authority, when we finally surrender to his rule personally, peace comes into our lives. Chris Tomlin has a song. We raise our white flag. We surrender all to you, all to you. 
We raise our white flag. The fight is over. Love has come. Your love has won. When we surrender to the rule of this prince, peace comes into our lives. Jesus, by his life, showed us how to live a life of love. By his death, he paid the penalty, broke down the barrier between us and God. By his resurrection, he inaugurated a new age, an age of, of peace and shalom. And every Christmas, we celebrate that. We receive that peace by surrendering to his rule, and we give that peace by spreading the news of his birth. So let me give you five simple, practical ways you can give more peace this Christmas. Number one, spend more time and less money on the people that you love. Spend more time and less money on the people you love. Instead of blowing all your evenings and weekends, cruising the mall, fighting traffic, surfing the web, spend your evenings and weekends with the very people you're trying to tell how much you love them. Instead of spending money on stuff that's going to get shoved in a drawer or put in a closet somewhere, spend your money on experiences that you can share with the people that you love. Number two, renew or repair a relationship. Is there someone you need to forgive? Someone you need to ask for forgiveness from? Is there someone you've lost touch with that you need to reach out to? Is there someone on your block or in your office that you don't even know? Take a risk and reach out. Number three, share your abundance with those in need. Share your abundance with those in need. Spend less so you can give more. And if you don't have an abundance of money, then give some of your time. Find a way to volunteer somewhere over the holidays with your church, with a partner, with a local service agency. On January 26th, we're going to have a packing party here where we pack up our World Vision hygiene kits to send them off to the Philippines. You and your family can spend some time on the 26th packing up a gift. Number four, open your home to someone. Give the gift of hospitality. Host the family get-together, the one no one wants to host. You host it. <laughs> Open up your home to the neighbors. Have them over. Go caroling in the neighborhood. Invite an international student to share Christmas dinner with you. Remember the innkeeper. You never know who you might be turning away. And finally, invite someone to church. There are people in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, there are people in your world who have never experienced the kind of peace that we're talking about. They never have experienced it. Why not this Christmas introduce them to the Prince of Peace? Invite them to a service where they might have an opportunity for just a moment or two to see or hear or feel the peace of Christmas that only Christ can bring. Some wonderful opportunities to bring someone to church. So that's it. Five simple ways to give more peace this Christmas. But before we leave this little passage, one final curious thing I want to point out. Interesting thing about this metaphor, prince of peace. See, a prince is born to rule, but doesn't rule yet, right? 
A prince will someday take the throne, but has not yet taken that throne. And so it is with this prince of peace. Jesus has come into the world, but he has not yet taken his throne. The, the government of this world does not yet sit on his shoulders. Well, that explains a lot. It explains why this, why this age of peace has not yet come in all its fullness. Why there's still injustice and poverty and war in the world, even though Jesus has come. Why John Lennon's song is still just wishful singing. Because the first part of this prophecy has been fulfilled. The prince has come bringing peace with him. But that prince has not yet taken the throne. The government does not yet sit on his shoulders. That part is yet to be fulfilled. But in the meantime, in this interregnum, this prince is establishing his rule one place and one person at a time. Wherever and whenever a person bows to the authority to, of this prince, surrenders to his rule in their lives, their home, we begin to experience his peace. And so when Christ rules in your heart, there's peace. When Christ rules in your home, there's peace. When Christ rules in a church or in a community, there's wellness and wholeness and goodness and flourishing. And someday, when Christ comes in glory, there will be peace in this world because then he will no longer be just Prince of Peace. He will be what? King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he will bring in that new age. Until then, this Christmas, let us receive more peace by surrendering to his rule. And let us give more peace by spreading the news in word and deed. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty and richness of this morning, the music, the scripture, but above all, the truth that we celebrate. There's not a person in the room this morning, Lord, who doesn't long for more peace in our hearts, in our homes, in the world around us. We pray that we might receive some of that peace, even today, even this season, that you might enable us to share it freely with those around us. We're grateful that you've come into this world and pray that your kingdom would continue to grow and expand. And may we be instruments of your peace until that day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.